welcome to another edition of the Become Good Soil podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Snyder. It was a shimmering rehearsal dinner, the headwaters of which were most certainly in eternity. Sherry and I were basking in the midst, poignantly aware of the premium of joy between us. You know how it goes. Weddings can be a charged mirror reflecting back on the current state of the union. We've attended our share where the reflection was mostly sorrow in our own marriage and the temptation to camp in resignation or worse, cynicism. But over the last few years, we've received the grace to tend to these deep recesses of pain, and we were sincerely refreshed to not only be seated together, but actually enjoying each other deeply as well. And yet the Father had much more intended for that night beyond a milestone for our marriage. He had ordained it to bring a revelation that would change the course of our lives. The choicest wine flowed, but even more, the choicest stories. Stories of daring and risk and deep redemption. Family and friends honored the couple with words of profound affection. Honor for obstacles overcome and the kind of faithful knowing and seeing that forms the texture of our deepest longings. As the storytelling drew to a conclusion, we were all caught up in the wonder and the delight of the major theme, love wins. The bride, Abby, was positively radiant. Not since beholding Sherry as she walked down the aisle at our wedding 16 years before had I seen a bride with such an effervescent glow. Now at the close of the evening, she stood alongside her husband-to-be, shimmering in the light of God's movement toward her and in her and through her. What could she possibly say to us in response to all the love and the stories shared that evening? There was a rich pause. And then... In a moment flushed with eternity, she slowly scanned the room, her countenance brilliant, and made eye contact with every witness present. What she then said changed my life forever. You are all my favorite. Her tears of goodness and delight glistened in the dancing candlelight. You are all my favorite. And it was true. Because of who Abby is and who she has allowed the Father to be for her, it is sincerely true. We are all Abby's favorite. But there was more. Abby was also a holy conduit for my Father as he brought a revelation infused with power from the kingdom of the heavens. My Father was saying this truth to me and gracing me to know it to be simultaneously true for each of us. You are all my favorites, he said. And then he made it personal. You are my favorite, Morgan. You are my favorite. You are my favorite, Sherry. You are my favorite. And this is where it's so important to come down, enter into this space, insert your name right there, right now. You are my favorite. 
You have to hear the voice of your father as he truly is, not as you have learned him to be. It is this singular reality of his heart for us that makes us worthy of his love and belonging, not what we do, but who we are to him, his favorite son. In Matthew 3.17, in the wake of Jesus' baptism, Father breaks with protocol and his audible voice quakes over the earth and he calls out, Jesus, you are my beloved son. You make me so happy. Now, for most of my life, the word beloved constantly fell flat, feeling as attractive as shopping at the mall. It's a word overused by Hallmark and invoked obliquely at weddings. I mean, the religious spirit has hijacked it, along with so many other kingdom treasures that were meant to buoy our hearts in turbulent seas. I confess, the innumerable worship songs I've sung, weddings I've attended to, cards I've read with the word beloved without ever connecting it with its true weight and possibility. The only way around the presumed familiarity or through it is to peel back the religious layers to get to the reality that the word was meant to represent and embody. In fact, this is our call with all the words of scriptures to excavate them until we experience Jesus with his startling, inviting, and disruptive freshness that is his essence. Dallas Willard describes the effect of Jesus' words when they are heard accurately. He says this, Jesus and his words have never belonged to the categories of dogma or law, and to read them as if they did is simply to miss them. They are essentially subversive, of the established arrangements and ways of thinking. That is clear from how they first entered the world, their initial effects, and how they are preserved in the New Testament writings and live in his people. He himself described the words as spirit and life. They invade our real world with the reality even more real than it is, which explains why human beings then and now have to protect themselves from them. One way to hear the word afresh is to explore their connotation in the original language. Back in Matthew 3.17, we find the Greek word for beloved, agapatos, to mean this. In Strong's Concordance, it says that agapatos is the favorite one, esteemed and worthy of love. Now, just revisit the Father's words to Jesus with that translation. Jesus, you are my very most favorite. You, Jesus, the one who makes me happy, you are my favorite. And then in John 17, 23, Jesus insists that we know with our whole being that the intensity of the Father's love for him is exactly what the offer of the gospel is for you and for me. It's what John, the beloved, understood and spoke of himself in this identity in much of his writing as the disciple whom Jesus loved. It is the revelation from which he lived and breathed and found his being until the very end of his days. No wonder he was the last of the 12 disciples to walk on earth, having endured the brutal death of each of his closest friends. No wonder he was one of four chosen to unveil the narrative of Jesus's life. 
John owned the identity of being Jesus's favorite, not to the exclusion of others, but actually to incite each of us to own it as well. No doubt living in a broken and embattled world threatens to steadily erode our beliefs in God's intimate knowing, his availability and pursuit. It's brutally hard to hold on to being his favorite in the midst of sorrow and trial and loss. Moreover, one of the enemy's great aims is to undermine all revelation of the Father's love. And yet, when we receive this revelation, it becomes the abundant fuel for us to prevail over every adversity. The revelation of our identity as his favorite is the high tower from which we can love and risk and battle and live a victorious life, a victorious life that transcends circumstances and is not contingent upon outcomes. That rehearsal dinner was a celebration of a gallant couple, overcomers. It was an exhilarating celebration of the glorious one who's authoring their story and ours. But it was more. It was a rescue, a reorienting, and a saving act of our loving Father for me. And I sense his fierceness that I am to pass it on to you. It was for you. You are his favorite. You are his favorite. You are the one Jesus loves. You are the one the Father loves. You are his favorite. You are. Receive it today, own it, write it on the door frames in the deepest bedrock of your heart. Reach for it when you go to sleep and when you rise. Reach for it as your first daily act, as a courageous declaration of belief, as an orientation, as an interpretation. Proclaim it until you have found yourself immersed in it as reality and let it have its way. Allow love to lead you into territory you never thought possible. The message is clear. Scripture says that soon, in fact, the day is coming when the wine will flow once again and thrilling stories will be shared at the great wedding feast of the Lamb. Your Father will run toward you at your arrival on that day, full of strength and tears to celebrate you. He will say, welcome home, son. Welcome home. We've been waiting for you. You are my favorite and you make me so very happy. If we will receive the grace to believe it, it will change everything. Father, the scriptures say, ask and it will be given to me. Seek and I will find. Knock and the door will be open. Father, I confess that to believe I am your favorite is a tremendous risk, but I recognize that the risk and the cost of not believing is far greater. I give you access to my heart afresh. I give you permission to speak into this particular place. And friends, I want to invite you to pause. I want to offer a few questions. In this moment, if you have the time to turn this off, and to just pause and sink in with God. What is it that you want to say to me, Father? What is it that you want to say to me? 
A second question I'd encourage you to take to God, what is in the way of me believing this truth? And lastly, is it true? Am I truly your favorite? How might my life look different if I choose to receive this revelation into my soul? I want to encourage you to take some time to sit in it, soak with it, whatever you can get. It's worth diving in and hearing the heart of your father for you. Down the road, once you get some time there, I want to encourage you to go to becomegoodsoil.com forward slash you are his favorite, where I've gathered some other resources where you can dive deeper. You can find a link to McDonald's unspoken sermons, to other audio teachings on this content and more. I'd like to leave you with a scripture from Romans 8 in the message and encourage you after you spend some time with God in those questions, come back to this scripture and let it wash over you and find its way into your heart and your soul. Paul says in Romans, This resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and sons. And we know we are going to get what's coming for us, an unbelievable inheritance. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made the decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, absolutely nothing, can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Amen.